Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A little bit of a pullback in the market. Even during the overnight, we were seeing some big numbers. Kind of got quiet as the day went on. But it seems like there's a key reason for what we're seeing and all that. And we're going to find out those details today with Arlen Suderman. Arlen is with Stonex. So let's talk about this pullback that we saw in the grains. And how much of it can we blame just on the outsides? Yeah, I think quite a bit of it because these fund managers who are pumping a lot of money into the commodity sector, they basically live in a Wall Street world. And so when they see fear rise on Wall Street, they become a little bit wary of the size of their investment scare assets. One of the things that I've noticed over the years, just an observation, is is I watch the VIX index. That's that's what it's kind of nicknamed Wall Street's fear index. It's based on S&P. Uh, 500 stock index put option premiums. And so when fear increases on Wall Street, you see an increase in premiums as demand for put options goes up on those equities involved in the S&P. And as that happens, the VIX goes up. And um, the VIX rarely sustains a move above 50. It's done so twice. Once was during the October financial crisis in 2008. The other was last spring when we intentionally shut down the U.S. economy trying to manage the COVID-19 outbreak because we really didn't know a lot about it at the time. Those are the two times and both of those times it spiked above 85. Um, But I've also noticed over the years that whenever the VIX is trading above 30, Uh, it's very difficult for any of the commodities to sustain a rally. They can do it, um, but they have to have a strong story to do so. We do have some commodities with a a strong story, but they still, the fund managers took reason to pause because it's so much at risk. They already have such big ownership in those commodities currently. So that was certainly a factor today. As we started off strong, we saw the stock market really break hard, the dollar rally sharply. Uh, and, and when that happens, that also makes it tougher for us to compete globally in the commodity sector. And, and even though that may not matter right now with corn and soybean demand in the current environment, fund managers don't totally understand that. They just know that when the dollar goes higher, that tends to be bearish for commodities. And so that made it kind of tough to really sustain the rally going forward. We still managed to post new six-and-a-half-year highs for the corn market earlier in the session. Um, Soybeans a little below that. Um, So um, that's kind of a long answer to uh, a short question, but the outside markets definitely were at play. So as you look at at the Fed Reserve's balance sheet, does that make you nervous at all? Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, When I look at the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, it's up 78% year-on-year. M1 money supply in the U.S. economy correspondingly up 70% year-on-year. That's the amount of money that is in people's pockets. Velocity of money is the speed at which that money goes through the economy and, and cycles through the economy. And that has dropped sharply this year. Now, it had been trending lower as baby boomers uh, retire, 
um, and start looking more at saving that rather than spending. Um, but with the COVID pandemic this year, people have definitely been using increased money, this increased money to pay down debt, which they have done to a great extent and increase savings until they know more about how this is going to play out. That money is still in the system, still vulnerable to being spent. And much of it is making its way into the market, it's just not as that fast a pace as what it could uh, has in the past and what it could in the future. So that's one of the things that really concerns me. While fund managers are trading commodity inflation today with some fundamental support with the demand that we're seeing and some of the weather risks, um, there's still a lot more inflationary risks ahead. We don't know the timing and the scope to how it will play out, um, but there definitely is a belief out there among traders that it is a factor. So as you look at that, and as a producer that's listening to this, whether it's grain or livestock, what does this risk mean to them today and into the near future? Well, first of all, if I'm an end user, I really have to be in a mode of managing my upside price risk. Um, and, and number one, what I'm really concerned about is, is soybean supply. If you consume soy meal, I'm very concerned about the supplies this summer, whether processors will be able to find enough soybeans to crush. Uh, when you look at soybean export shipments for the marketing year to date, that marketing year started September 1, there's a very strong seasonality to our export shipments. So we, we ship a lot of soybeans from September to January, and then they drop off dramatically. Well, if you look at USDA's target and build a seasonality based on that, what kind of seasonal pattern do we need to hit based on the last 10 years pattern to hit USDA's target? Our shipments to date already are over 380 million bushels above that seasonal pace for the marketing year to date. Um, I just think that we're exporting a lot more soybeans than what USDA is accounting for. And so as I've been asking around, as, uh, we have a lot of processors who are clients around the country. Uh, many of them are starting to look for booking summer soybean needs to crush the summer and struggling to find the beans that they need. And that could be a real problem, particularly if China uses up Brazil's supplies and comes back to us before our harvest, as they did last year. Which, um, and we can talk more about this in the second half, but this could really make for an interesting corn versus a, a bean event. Yeah, it really could. All right, well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up as we continue on this Wednesday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell. As we mentioned, some lower numbers seen in the grain market. Livestock, not a pretty picture there. We've got more coming up on that and more. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. 992. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue our conversation with Arlen Sudeman with Stonex. So before we went to break, we were talking about soybeans and specifically we know that, you know, the, the crop is growing in South America. We've got that corn versus bean acreage discussion already happening in January. So Arlen, does this really set the tone for what we're going to see as we get closer to spring? Of course, knowing that weather and the markets could have a big influence in the final outcome? It really does. So the question is, how is the market going to influence those acres? Right now, if you look at the new crop soybean corn price ratio, it gives a little bit of an advantage to soybeans. And certainly, as we've just put out a report to our customers this week, breaking down state by state, 
what we see the crop budgets being and uh, which crop it favors. Obviously, most Midwest farmers want to maintain their corn soybean rotations, but there's a lot of play within that, and especially outside and around the fringes of the Midwest where acres can switch, and you can have a lot of soybeans double crop behind wheat, um, particularly in the southern Midwest into the central and southern plains. So as we look at the 8 million acres of prevent plant that we had in the United States last year, uh, that if we have a good planting season this year is available to the market. That gives us a lot of ground to work with. We see right now soybean acreage increasing to 90.5 million acres. Now, this, this is still very fluid, obviously, in the crop insurance guarantees for revenue insurance will be set in the month of February. Um, so that would be up, uh, what, uh, 7.4 million acres from last year. On the corn side, we're currently looking at 92 million acres, up 1.2 million from last year. So corn gains a few acres and soybeans gains a lot of acres. Uh, on the corn side, that could leave us very tight or we could be rebuilding stocks. Depending on what happens with South America's crop, whether China opens the floodgate to corn imports beyond what we currently think or not, and that's been certainly a subject to debate this week with the massive purchases that China has, uh, USDA has announced that were made to China here recently. Um, or And then we look at soybeans, and no matter what scenario I use, uh, where I even have one scenario where I go up to 92.5 million acres with a 52 bushel yield, and I still have rather snug supplies, a little bit of leeway, but still rather snug. So we see a lot of price volatility over the coming year with very little margin for error in the soybeans and to some extent corn as well, although it's not quite as tight with corn all depending on what China does as far as allowing imports. So I find this interesting. Since we're on the discussion of China, not a lot has been said in the marketplace about this new strain that they're finding of African swine fever. Is it even ASF? And my understanding, it hit one of the bigger hog growers in China. A, a sizable one. Uh, I wouldn't call it one of the bigger, but it was a sizable okay. operation. It should have had some biosecurity uh, and still got in there. And, and so that's why I'd speculated it was one of the illegal vaccines that are currently in China. Uh, Chinese government hasn't officially confirmed that, and I doubt that it will. But basically one of the things we see pop up with, with animals' diseases hit in China is illegal vaccines and what they do is just they take the, the virus and they try to remove key genes from it and then make a vaccine um, and so we think in the process this is what has been speculated in in the science community that they have created a new strain of african swine fever so african swine fever is probably going to be with china a problem for china and southeast asia for some time it's just done a very good job of managing it with the commercialization of its hog herd to this point. But there's always going to be that risk that it gets into these large operations with 20, 25,000 sows or whatever in, in these hog farms that it could do significant damage if it did get into some of them. What are your thoughts on the struggle that we're starting to see in the cattle complex? 
Yeah, as we look at the cattle complex, we did see in the online exchange today some, some good numbers of cattle moving about 113. Uh, but that's still several dollars below where the February contract is sitting at right now. We've got ample supplies of cattle. We think 114 would move a lot of cattle in the negotiated market in the Southern Plains this week if we get that. We may see some trade open up closer to 113. We'll have to see. Um, but we've got ample supplies in the near term. The supplies are expected to tighten as we get into the spring. The product market is what's really impressive right now. And even with the slaughter rates we're having, the product market is good. But today, unfortunately, those weaker equity markets and the strong dollar weight on the entire meat complex. A lot of interesting things that we've talked about today, Arlen, and I know that you do send out letters to your subscribers, etc. What is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Over at StoneX.com, our website, or they can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Thanks so much. Arlen Suderman has been joining us today. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss, and they're not suitable for all investors. That is the Wednesday Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers on the Rural Radio Network.